There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by absolute legend, big wave surfer, Jamie Mitchell, who's uh, chatting to me. He's over in his home in Hawaii. I'm pretty excited. My husband, Ash, is absolutely having kittens when he knew that I was doing this interview today. He's so excited. Jamie, how are you? Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing great. We're here in uh we're actually it's uh Thanksgiving Day here in the United States. So it's a big day where everyone's getting ready to stuff their face. So yeah. <laughs> eat some turkey and probably drink too much. How long have you <laughs> yeah, been in Hawaii for? Oh, good question. I was spending three months in the summertime to, to come over and do my paddleboard races. And then I'd spend three months in wintertime. So I was spending about half the year for ever since like 2004. So I was sort of spending a lot of time 
anyway. And then when I was sponsored by Quicksilver, I wanted to spend even more time. But as they're Australian, you only get that 90-day visa. So I actually got some visas through, uh, and Ash probably knows about them. You get the O visa. It's the um, sports and entertainment industry. You can get these visas. So I, I got like two or three of them, and I started to spend nearly most of my time here. So, But full-time, 100%. It's been about a decade now. So, yeah. Wow, amazing. And you were saying earlier that you grew up in Coffs Harbour. I did. Yeah, I was born in Coffs Harbour. My parents were born in Coffs Harbour. Their parents were born in Coffs Harbour. So third generation. And I went to school there, grew up there. And then when I was, I left school in year 10, started a trade at the college there. And then uh, not long after that, decided to go to the Gold Coast. And try to finish my trade, which I never did. I think subconsciously I was like, I'm just going to the Gold Coast. And I started to lifeguard. Um, at that time in my life, I was heavily into the surf life saving movement, doing all the Ironman races and stuff like that. So it just fit in perfectly. I was working on the beach. I could train. Being a lifeguard on the Gold Coast was a really great job. They paid well. So yeah, so that's sort of that from Costa transition to the Gold Coast you know, when I was 17. Mm-hmm. How did you get into big wave surfing of all fucking things? I mean, I couldn't think of anything more terrifying. Like if I'm on the beach with Ash and he's trying to coax me in to the, and there's just like, just a, a just a general wave, like just not even like a couple of foot high. I shit myself. And the yeah. thought of those hold downs, like Ash was talking to me about it earlier, just about like you. And it was just, just talking about hold downs in general, where you get held down by the wave under the mass of water over the top of you. I mean, what? Are you thinking? Yeah, it's funny. And uh, I think about it a lot. And I've got two young daughters now that are six and eight and they're into surfing and, and they're learning how to swim. And, and I'm so I get these flashbacks of my childhood now and with how I'm trying to help them and get them to the level that I would like them to be at because obviously living in Hawaii, you've got to be good in the water. But I had asthma as a kid, like really bad chronic asthma, which led me to swimming. Our family physician said, hey, we think Jamie should start swimming. That would be good for his breathing and the asthma. So I did that and it did help a lot, but I still struggled up until my early 20s with my asthma. But I started swimming at a young age. From that, I got into the surf club. So I did the little nippers when I was five years old. And that has the nippers program through the surf life saving program. Today, well, tomorrow I'm going to surf Jaws, right? So tomorrow it's life or death. And I flash back and it's everything that I learned from the nippers into the surf life saving, the skills that I learned through that as a kid, being taught to body surf and to go in and out of the water on various crafts and uh, all that sort of stuff has led me to be as comfortable as I am today in those giant waves that we surf. It's the confidence, you know, the confidence of, I know I can really swim. I know I can hold my breath. I still train really hard. And I think that the other thing that people probably don't think about looking from the outside in is, is, is your mental state, like how calm you can be. Now you can be the best athlete in the world, but if you mm-hmm. freak out, you panic, then it's game over. There's other guys that don't train so much. For example, like a guy like Ross Clark Jones, who's just a madman and, is not the most physically specimen guy that you would see, but has been in so many situations, in bad situations. He's so calm that he's able to get through those situations. So um, 
It's a lot of experience. It's just a lot of time in the water and you've got to be confident, confident in your training and sort of be a little bit tapped in the head. You know, there's that little bit of crazy that's got to be there as well. If I'm being honest, ego, all that stuff plays a part of it. Mm, yeah, well, gosh, I love what you just said about the panic. Like I would panic. I would absolutely 100% panic. But really like and in terms of like addiction too, when things get you by the balls and they're holding you down, so to speak, like if we imagine like a big wave and compare that to a big emotion, mm. it's not too dissimilar, is it? Where you've just got to kind of relax and let go. If you panic and fight against it, that's when you kind of get yourself in the shit. Yeah, the chaos, you know, chaos mm. creates even more chaos, right? And well, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but the thing that I struggled with the drinking and stuff and the partying and stuff like that was... uh can you imagine, for example, uh, Mavericks is a great example. It's at the place in Half Moon Bay, California, one of the scariest, biggest waves in the world and a really small, beautiful community. And, and, and one of the guys there, he owns one of the big local pubs there. And, you know, so we would go out and we surf all day and we're like adrenaline is just running through the veins. You're coming in and everyone's high-fiving and the, well, how do you channel that? How do you channel this? fight or flight that you've nearly died you've come out the other side you've had the wave of your life and you're on the boat coming back in and people are cracking beers and you're just in the moment and then and then all of a sudden you're at the pub and there's 50 people of this in the same state right everyone's just fucking going for it you know like it's Mm -hmm. like you just want that feeling to keep going and that is a real struggle for certain people like myself and that's like you say like in that chaos How are you able to calm that down, find a place where you're able to level out that adrenaline, level out all those emotions and calm down before you go out and make those decisions that when you wake up the next day or a couple Mm -hmm. of days later, you you aren't too happy with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's not too dissimilar to musicians, I guess, when they've done a big show. And you've got all that adrenaline and all those people, like all that energy from those people and you come off stage, they come off stage and they still want it to keep going. It's impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, but sorry, I should never say it's impossible, but I've been been watching the Robbie Williams series on Netflix Mm -hmm. and you see 300,000 people that he's playing in front of and you're like, and he's just going to walk off stage and he's meant to go to bed. Like, you know, crazy, and, isn't it? And I've always thought to myself, I'm like, in, a, in another life, I would have loved to have been a rock star. I would just that one, one walk out like a guitar player, Angus from ACDC or something and go out and have that feeling of that crowd just or a DJ and just feel what that would feel like. But I feel for anyone that's in that situation that struggles with that because it's the exact same thing. You come off stage you're the man, you're the, you're the woman, everyone's high-fiving you. There's like an abundance of whatever you want is getting thrown at you. There's always a party. People want to hang out with you. It's tough to manage that. How do you level out and get to a place where you can make a rational decision without making that decision in the chaos that we're talking about? 100%, 100%. Jeez, I could really go into that stuff because I think it's so important too. And just through talking with other musicians, we talk about this a fair bit, just about that kind of dopamine hit that you get and yeah. then it stops and then you kind of, uh, your brain's just yeah. like, I want more, I want more. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, yeah. for anyone listening, I think what's really helped me has been 
sauna ice bath so the hot cold therapy uh i'm really i've been doing that now for three to four years i have one at my house i have a a barrel sauna and i have a a ice bath that's set it it's like two degrees i actually did it with a friend of mine this morning he just flew over from new zealand and was wanted to wash off the jet lag and so we jumped in and uh i do it every night i do it every day it's uh something that just levels me out and i try and have that wherever I travel now to certain spots, I have friends that will have the same setup or certain mm. things. So I'm able to have key moments in place where I can go. And so instead of going from the Harbor to the pub, I'm going to the ice plunge and the sauna and, and I'm getting oh. that chance 30 minutes, 45 minutes to sit in there, relax, get my thoughts, calm down, it gives you another rush and a dopamine level hit, but mm-hmm. it's it's not like a beer or it's not like mm-hmm. having five beers or a tequila shot or anything. It's a it's a really good natural high, and then you feel so good afterwards that for me it like just makes me want to go to sleep and makes me want to go and relax. And so I've mm-hmm. found that the sauna, ice plunge, any sort of breathing like Wim Hof stuff that you're mm-hmm. able to do for me has been a massive help in um just not just. Um, moments like that, but just my everyday life as well. 100%. We go a couple of times a week to, uh, we do contrast therapy. So the yeah. we'll do the sauna, cold bath, and then this hot kind of hot bath that's like got yeah. minerals in it. And then you go between the two. But I, I just swear by it. And I'm a bit addicted to it now, but fucking two degrees. I'll get her to set it to six and I think I'm really pushing the edges. Yeah. Like two is fucking cold. So good on you. But yeah. yes, it does help. I can be a bit edgy like a bit running on adrenaline a lot too and I just find it just keeps me calm I can't stress it enough to people like how transformative that stuff is and the dopamine hit is sensational yeah in a good way I think Mm. you know exercise I've been an athlete my whole life since I can remember and and if I don't train I'm eggy my wife's like you got to go train get out the door so exercise I mean it's just you get that hit that you get from whether you're drinking or whatever it is that you're doing, like you can get that from exercise. You can get that from the cold plunge. You can get that from the sauna. You know, you can get it different ways and Mm. which are obviously much better than the alternative. So I I just swear by exercise and the the cold plunge and whether it's you're into yoga, whatever it is that that may be that's challenging and stuff. And I think that it's, it's just a key to, it's a key to life. It's key to, staying young it's a key to your health and and longevity you know 100 percent uh absolutely absolutely love it the other thing i loved about what you said too jamie it's like knowing okay i'm going to this thing and so preempting. so i mean it's great if you've got friends that have that but say for people listening if you're worried about the weekend there's plenty like they're everywhere now if you're worried yeah. about your friday night or you feel like you're going to get fomo if friends are doing something else grab another friend go do some hot cold therapy or just go for a cold plunge guarantee yeah. i think jamie and i can both guarantee you're going to feel much better for it than going getting shit faced yeah, yeah look i just i think that you're uh i think with anything with addictions and all that stuff i feel like the hardest thing can be your friends change because obviously hanging out with the same friends that are going to continue on the same path it just doesn't work and if they're pushing you to continue down that path then I would say that they're not really your friend and they don't have Mm. your best interests at heart and that can be the hardest thing is to find those group of friends that 
don't want to go get shit faced that want to get up early and go surf or go work out or go to the cold plunge on a Friday night and do that and have a healthy dinner and then watch a movie and wake up, you know, like may sound very boring to people like, what, why would you do that? But like, it's actually quite liberating. So for me, I think not necessarily like, look, I just made it very clear to certain people that this is the way that I want my path to go. And I necessarily can't be around you guys now, maybe ever, unless you guys change (laughs) your habits as well. And that's nothing against you guys, but that's just the way that I want to live my life now. And yeah, so, and that's, you know, sometimes can be the hardest one. And then you will just find that you attract when you are on, on that path, you just attract people. When you're out drinking and doing stupid stuff, like you attract that crowd, like you just attract it. If you're doing other stuff, like the healthy stuff, you're going to attract that crowd and it, it's easy to find, you know, and I think that finding people that are like-minded that are on that same life goal, life path, I think is very important for the longevity of staying clean, sober, whatever it may be. Yeah, 100%. That's a big conversation to have too with people that you've been partying with too to say, actually, I'm not interested in this anymore. How'd that go down? It got to a point where I was just like, look, and I think, I don't know, like if other guests you've spoken to have said this, but deep down, those people are jealous of the, what you're yes. doing. So don't, yes. so, yes. so anyone listening, I think is that's thinking about doing this is like, trust me, it, they're the ones missing out and they're the ones that wish they could do what you were doing. And deep down they're jealous and they want to do it, but for whatever the reason they don't have the courage or they just don't have it in them right now. And that's fine because I was there. I tried to quit drinking a ton, like, and I could go six months, I could go three months, I could go nine months and then I'd go and binge again. And so for me, I was never a daily drinker, never drank for three beers with a couple of friends. That was never my intention. My intention was to go and get fucking hammered and have a really mm-hmm. good time. And mm-hmm. and it wasn't all the time. Like I never like, even in my, my worst time, like I never woke up thinking about drinking each day. It was just a little different for me. I was... I think it's a real stereotypical thing in Australia. It's the binge drinking stere- like thing that happens in Australia, which is just, when I look back now, it's just horrible the way that um, I think we're brought up in Australia. The way that drinking is sort of portrayed in Australia, I think is very different than say Europe or somewhere. Everyone works to go get fucked up Friday, Saturday, Sunday and go back to work and the binge and stuff. And I just think it's a, it's a real horrible way. It's a really bad relationship with alcohol. You know, whereas places like Europe and stuff, like they'll have a glass of wine with dinner and their kids can be 15 or 16 and, and they'll understand that alcohol is not to be abused. It's something to, you can have a sip and you can have it with your food and this and that. And they have a better relationship with alcohol than we seem to do in like Australia and even maybe America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it was the binging was the bad thing. It wasn't an everyday occurrence. Getting back to what I think we're talking about, it was just, yeah, I just... I had that conversation and yeah, I just, people were, uh, they had to be okay with it. There's a lot of people I don't keep in contact with anymore. Not that I'm angry with them or or whatever. It's just, I, it's just parting ways. Their path wasn't my path and, and you know, I had to make that change. Yeah. Amazing. Tell us about with the alcohol, when did it get started for you? When did you start drinking? Yeah. So this is the funny thing is I actually in Australian terms, I didn't drink till I was 18. My first drink was just before I was 18. I was so in the sport that 
it wasn't something that I was, uh, and I got peer pressured a ton as a kid to to drink with my friends and stuff. But they all knew that I was racing off on weekends to play football and soccer and surf club and all that stuff. And I just, it wasn't something that I was interested in. And uh, and then when I did start, so 18, right around 18 was when I started drinking. And then again, it was, we would train for six months up until the Aussie titles for Surf Life Saving, which would happen in March. And then it would blow out. We wouldn't train for a few months and then we'd start training again. So, you know, those few months we'd go hard in the paint and then stop and then start training. And so, and I feel like a lot of athletes are in the same boat. They're able to switch on and switch off pretty easily. But when that switch is on, it's just full on, you know what I mean? And that's, that's where I was at. I was like, I was last man standing. I had to drink the most. It was like a contest. It was just binging, you know, like backing up, like go out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. But I never thought anything of it back then. I just thought that was normal because you see everyone else doing it. And then I knew that in a couple of months time, I'd be back training six days a week, twice a day and be doing my thing. So yeah, so it started like then, but it was never a problem back then. But I left Australia in 2011 I was in my 30s back then and I moved to California I just I just got divorced in Australia and I I left left Australia I moved to California before I moved to uh, Hawaii again and um and I moved to Costa Mesa I moved into a friend's like a Costa Mesa is but right near Newport Beach and it's a like an industrial sort of little town and I was living in a sponsor's uh like big shed and I went from all my friends, family in Australia to living in this dark, cold shed by myself, like after getting divorced. And um, I would say that that was when it started to get bad, where, you know, I had sponsorships. I was making like decent money, living for free, had idle times and idle hands. And and I'd just be sitting in this factory and trying to go to sleep and I'd like order an Uber and go down to the bar, you know what I mean? And and that became a more consistent thing. So I would say the last decade from 2011 to now was like where I saw it get progressively worse until the last three or four years, it got really bad and to now being sober for nearly, nearly two years. So it's like the age old story, right? I think you you don't know how bad it is until someone's got to lay it out for you. Or, you know, my wife just gave me many ultimatums and I just kept pushing the limits, pushing the limits, pushing the limits until it was like, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose, we're going to, you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your kids. And uh, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't have that happen. So yeah, it just was a progressively, got worse and worse until yeah I remember actually my wife called an intervention my parents flew from Australia to Hawaii with a couple my a couple of friends from over here as well and just basically had an intervention without me knowing and stuff so it got pretty bad you know like it was wow. it was I was one bad drinking session away from losing my family you know yeah I've never actually had anyone on the podcast that's had an intervention that I know of What's that like? Holy shit. Like that's. Yeah, it was, it's pretty gnarly because type of guy I am, I think I'm invincible. I'm like, I've, I've got it under control. 
what do you mean I've got a problem? Like I'm still getting paid. I'm still surfing big waves. I'm still getting everything done. I'm still like Superman in my eyes, you know, and I'm what I'm not doing is being a good husband and a good father, right, at times. But I'm like, what, mm-hmm. 99% of the time I'm great. It's that one or two days where I go off the radar and go like, my wife would call it, you go walk about, you know, mm-hmm. I just go walk about, turn the phone off, just, and it would just be horrible for them. And it happened just too many times. She called my mom and just said, Hey, Lynn, Jamie's got a real problem here. And I'm about to walk out, walk away. And so they flew over and had a, like a therapist there at my friend's house that we're at. And then another couple of friends, one flew from California, one flew from a different Island over and, yeah. I, and I was on the beach with Cassie, my wife, sitting down, beautiful day, thinking everything's great. And she she goes, I've got something to tell you. I'm like, oh, what's that? She's like, your mom and daddy here. I'm like, what? And she's, I said, what? And she's like, yeah, we're having an intervention today. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? I was like, I couldn't believe it. I just felt guilt and shame, I think, was my first. Like, it wasn't like. It was just that ego, male ego that was like, oh my God, like, yeah. So it was, it was really um, a real reality check, but that didn't stop me. That didn't stop me. That yeah. was like, mm-hmm. that was six years ago, man. And I kept going, like I kept pushing it. I'd be good for nine months and I'd go off again. And I just somehow pull off, like being able to pull it off. And my wife was just kept giving me chances So I just thought I could keep doing it and I just kept pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the last straw was, so this is how it all come down was I was in Nazare in Portugal at that giant wave. And I was at a a towing contest there. I surfed in the contest and I broke my back on the last wave of the day. So I was stuck in Portugal in a broken back during COVID. And it was just a gnarly experience. No one spoke English. No one, no one helped me for like 12 hours with a broken back. Anyway, long story short, I had to stay in Portugal for you know 10 days before I could fly home. I was flying home through California. And anyone that, this is another thing I think that people mightn't understand is we have triggers. People that are addicts or alcoholics, they have triggers. So like whether it's a certain person or certain places, things trigger these emotions that will make you like, even like a song, you know, if you hear a song from when you chat, from when you're with your girlfriends at a party or something back in high school, like it brings up these emotions. So LA mm-hmm. is that place for me. Mm-hmm. LA is a party place and it brings up these emotions. So I was coming back through LA to get some therapy on my back for a few days. And I flew in with a broken back, with a brace on and went on a drinking bender. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Flew home and yeah, my wife was like, that's it. You're done. We're done. My God. Yeah. How, you know, how did she know, Jamie? How did, cause you weren't there with, she well, there I'm with not answer, try and call the phone. She would see what I mm-hmm. see. What I would do is just, I just go off the grid. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't answer. Cassie's calling friends to call me. I just, just and I just, I just go, oh, I just, I go off the grid and turn my phone off and say, they don't know if I'm alive. They don't know if I'm dead. Horrible for her. Mm -hmm. Horrible, horrible. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm speaking like out loud like that, it makes me feel like a real prick, 
which I was. And so I just, yeah, that was it. That was the lot. So that was the last time it was February, two years ago. So coming up February will be two years since that accident. And I haven't touched a, a drop of alcohol since that day. We have a couple of rentals on, on our house. So I was, they put me in this rental to recover off the house and Cassie was, you know, super serious. She's like, Hey, like, you're not moving back in here. We're going to work something out here. Like it was, I'm like, okay, I've, I've gone past the point of no return here. I've, I've fucked it up mm, royally. Yeah. And yeah, I just had to commit to a, I wrote a pretty deep letter to my kids and, and Cassie. And I remember I had to sit in front of them and uh, wrote this letter. I sat in front of them crying, read this letter out. And I told the kids in the, in the letter, I said, hey, when the time is right and we remember all this, you're going to be able to come and talk to me and I'm going to tell you exactly what happened here. And this is your letter. I'm going to put it in our safe. And when the time's right, we can read it again and I can tell you exactly what happened. And, and I said, this is my promise that this will never happen again. And um, so far, so good. Holy shit. Wow. Gosh, you came close. Okay, I have to ask this question. The part that concerns me, like hearing this story, is that you're doing it for other people that you're doing it for Cassie, you're doing it for the kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yes. Yeah, so, so I know the one thing I realized was that it was, I was doing it for everyone else, but there absolutely is, you have to do it for yourself. And, and I got to the point where I was lying. I was saying, I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I knew deep down that I didn't want to do it. I still wanted to have that, like nearly like a, I nearly wanted to have this secret life of like, partying and drink, like drinking like you know somewhere else and having a good time and like, I don't know if I was ashamed of it I didn't want to it's just it was just a weird place to be in but I got to a point where it was like I, I don't want to do this anymore and it wasn't it had nothing to do with Cassie and the girls really I mean I knew obviously that that was going to happen but what I realized is that no one like if you're like I have a screensaver of my daughters on my phone and I would look at that before I was like going to have my first drink knowing where that would lead. Right. And it's, and that wouldn't stop me. So until that's absolutely 100% you and only you, like there's nothing in the world that can stop you from doing it. You have to do it on your own terms and mm -hmm. you've got to want to do it yourself. And, and that was the only time that I've, I've wanted to do it and I wanted to do it for me and no one else. And it's been two years and I wouldn't say it's easy. It's challenging at times, but I just know that that path is just a horrible path. It's not somewhere I want to go down. It's not who I want to be anymore. And I got too many good things, it's like health, surfing, training, teaching the kids. There's just so much to life to do. And I mean, I, I dodged a bullet with drink driving and I crashed a car into the back of someone in LA. I mean, I've done so much stupid shit that I got away with. I mean, I got away with murder, like, doing stupid stuff you know and just mm. never got caught and I just I think that helped me think that I was invincible you know like I just thought that I was this I'm like I'm golden like no one yeah. nothing's gonna touch me you know? and it was I got lucky but I mean you keep going that sooner or later your luck runs out and mine would have run out and maybe I crashed a car and killed someone yeah you know, maybe I worst case scenario maybe I'm in jail somewhere you know like it's just, yeah, it, it was gnarly. It was bad. And 
until I come to the realization that this is not what I want, then it was hard to get to that point because doing it for other people is, it seems noble and seems good, but it doesn't really get you to the end result. 100%. It's almost like when you're talking about this sort of duality too, like there's almost like two different Jamies. There's this one that's kind of wanting to party and the, the kind of the ego or the kind of that excitement part. And then there's this other part who loves his family and feels a bit more settled. Those two, yeah. like, so what was going on with this guy? The one that wanted to drink and that wanted to, that couldn't quite settle into the other version of himself. What was going on for him? And what was the alcohol doing for that part of you? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I was trying to make up for lost time of like, cause I'd done so much sport and, and I would sort of like hadn't really done a lot of drinking or been out and stuff like that. So I don't know if I was like trying to make up for lost time or I just needed that outlet after. And most of the times it was after a, a swell. Most of these incidences come after I've been traveling and I've been at a swell. So the correlation was the, the adrenaline, the dopamine, the whatever it is and not being able to channel that in the right direction and that's when all the bad stuff would happen so you know like i said i could do that i'd come home two days get over the hangover and six months not even think about alcohol mm. not even a thought and then go do something and then it's just it was just i don't know it was just it was i had there was these two personalities two mm. different people and it was super interesting the funny thing is i guess is that yeah, in a way, like if I didn't have kids and the family, like, yeah, you're still brutalizing myself, but like I probably wouldn't be much different than most people that are doing their thing on the weekend. But the problem was, is I did, I had responsibilities. I had, a, I got a wife, I've got a, I've got kids, you know what I mean? So like, that's not an excuse. You've got to be present for them and you can't put them through that. So I struggled with, I love normal Jamie, like just training and, surfing and being in shape it's like that's a drug for me as well my personality is like i'm all in i'm all in or i'm all out and i've been like that my whole life ever since i was a kid and i just had to find a way to channel that all in after swells and after those places where i had that adrenaline i had to find a way to channel that into a good place and not going out and drinking and yeah. that was the challenge Funnily enough, I just stopped going to these places. I stopped going to LA. I stopped going to places that would trigger me. And, you know, my wife wouldn't let me go to LA, which was fair enough because I would nine times out of 10, that would end up in a, in a bad situation. And for the first time in really two years, I surfed Jaws a month ago and went to Mavericks. And then we all went to the pub afterwards and I told bunch of my friends, I said, yeah, I'm, I haven't drank in two years. And they're like, I was super psyched. They're like, wow, that's amazing. I, I, I can't do two weeks. Again, they another side of like, they look at you in awe. They're like, wow, that's amazing, Jamie. They're really amazing. They're like, that's awesome. And so we went to the pub and I'm got that feeling. I'm like, and I went to the, went to the bar and I ordered a non-alcoholic drink. I said, have you guys got non-alcoholic beers? And they're like, yes. I said, good. Can I just get a Heineken and I put it in a schooner glass and I sat there and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry. It's non-alcoholic. And they're like, what? That's crazy. That's so good. And, and I sat there and I felt like I was, I had a buzz. Like I, I was, it was just yeah. like I needed, you needed to be, I just needed to be social. 
sitting there with water. No one really asked me because you're looking like you're having a beer. And then I had a Heineken in a green bottle. And even to the point where I just would cover up the non-alcoholic part and I was just sipping and and people wouldn't say a thing. But if you sit there sipping water, you want a beer, you want it like, well, well. and mm. so there's certain things you learn along the way. And, and not to mention, I could have sat there and drank water, no problem. But I actually was like, oh, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to just try and have a non-alcoholic beer and see how it feels. And I felt it was cool. I felt a part of the group. I just had a great conversation and 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 I went home. That was a really big step for me, being in that situation after feeling like I felt. But I felt like I needed to, sooner or later, you got to step into the fire again. Like I just, I'm going to be by myself. I'm going to travel. I'm going to be in these situations. Like it's, it's just impossible that we're not going to be in a situation where there's alcohol or free alcohol, whatever it is may be, you know, but I hadn't put myself in that fire for a reason, but I felt solid and strong. And I just, I felt really proud of myself. Like when I jumped on that plane the next morning, because most of the times in those other situations, I would miss the next flight it meant to be home. And then I'd get home another day later. And so it's just, just snowball effect of just fuck up after fuck up. That just was horrible. I jump on that flight the next morning, get home. And it was awesome. It was, uh, it was really cool. That felt really nice. Yes. That feeling of just like, oh, I didn't fuck up. I didn't fuck up. And I'm sure Cassie would have been stoked. I mean, she would have felt so relieved. Yeah. Well, she called me randomly. Funnily enough, she called me and she said, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm at the OPL. It's the name of the pub. And, and she didn't even like think about it. I said, look what I'm having. And I said, I'm having a non-alcoholic beer. And she's like, oh, wow. I, I didn't even like, because it's she's sort of got the trust back in me too. Like where she's mm. like, oh. I didn't even think like that. Whereas before she's calling up going, Hey, what are you doing? Where, where are you at? And I'm either lying saying I'm at home and I'm at the pub or, you know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. so that felt really good too. And it felt good for her to not be thinking like that I'm doing stuff as well. So I think mm-hmm. it was a really good moment for both of us without us going into it too much. It was sort of just like, Oh, that, that was cool. And I'm back home and I'm in dad mode mm-hmm. and, and we moved on. Now that I'm even talking about it now, I haven't even thought about it, but that's that was actually a, a pretty big step, I think, in in the the process of what I've been going through. Yeah, it's huge. It's such a great, like it's a huge achievement and a great milestone. The other thing I wanted to just touch on as well, you said that you were at the pub and you had the feeling. You said, oh, I had that feeling. And so then I went and got a was it the feeling, that kind of urge that comes up? Because it's a good that, learning moment. It was like listening. that feeling of it could have easily been like, let's have a few beers and like get yes. and, and but I knew that I wasn't going to drink, but there was definitely, you just see the vibe and you want to be a part of it. And that's why I think uh, I've seen a bunch of different people like for this. And, and, and another guy who was a recovering drug addict and an alcoholic, he said, Jamie, he goes, if I was invited to a party, I would get there early. I would go to the bartender and I would say, hey, I'm recovering alcoholic. I just, you know, if anyone tries to come up, get me drinks. And I would make sure that there was non-alcoholic drinks there and I, and I would get them and and I, I would just prepare, prepare for that day. So I, I prepare, prepare for success. And so that's yeah. what I felt like. Like I was thinking about that before I went in. I was like, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to see if there's some non-alcoholic drinks and I'm just going to blend in and do my thing. And, and that's what I did. But yeah, there was that thing of like, 
oh, maybe I can just have one or two, but you can't. That's the problem. And I know yeah. that I can't. One or two becomes 10 or 12. It's just, and I, it's never been like that. It's, I've never been a social drinker. I've always just, it's just never been me. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, so it felt, it felt really nice to go in and use some of those skills that I've learned from different people. Like, you know, that have been through it. I've got lots of friends too that are recovering drug addicts, alcoholics that are surfers as well. That have seen how they do it, been with them in situations as well. I listen, I watch, I learn. And and to be honest with you, I just, the, the easiest way for me, in which I do is now I just don't go. I don't put myself in the situation, right? You put If you put yourself into the fire, you're rolling dice. The little voice devil angel can come back so generally speaking for me like i don't even go i don't even put myself in a situation where there is alcohol or i'll put my hand up to be designated driver or mm-hmm. help my friends out whatever it may be you know but generally speaking i'm just not even around it that's the best way so yeah 100 percent. there's a couple of good learning moments in here too so i just want to go back Again, just for people listening, really important what Jamie said that when he was at that pub and he got the feeling, what I'm picking up on here and and what we talk about a lot in the podcast is acknowledging the feelings. So there is that moment, even if it's only for a microsecond of just like, I'm noticing what's happening in my body. I'm noticing what's happening in my own mind and just kind of being the witness to that. That's why the the cold baths and all the meditation is so helpful to, to, we can kind of separate from those body feelings and know that it's just a feeling it'll pass. Yeah. However you want to kind of see this, but I think it's just so important to just stop a minute and just acknowledge what's happening. I had it recently, just catching up with friends where they were all drinking and I, you can get kind of in sucked into that feeling. What up in it? Yeah. And I've been sober nearly six years. It was okay just to go, Oh, there it is. Oh, that's okay. It's there. That's okay. And I just had some non-alcoholic drinks and I was okay. Once it passed, you just have to let it run its cycle. Don't panic. It's okay. It's normal. And it's actually, I always say to people too, it's a gift because you're creating a new neural pathway too. Every time you don't go for the the drink, you're making a new little pathway for yourself. So that's really important for people listening just to go, okay, I'm just acknowledging what's happening for me here and and just make sure you get yourself a non-alcoholic drink and sit on that and it will pass. And then yeah. you're going to feel really proud of yourself. Well, I think telling people like mm. that you're around to be like, I think being proud of it, like, Hey man, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't drank for two years. And they're like, Oh, well, like you find that that engaging conversation, people are really interested in that because like I said earlier, they, they, they want to be able to do that. Like a lot mm. of these people don't want to be drinking. It's just this cycle and, and whatever. And, and I think that talking about it and then, even I know now, like I have some really good friends that I reached out to and said, Hey, like, if you see me like going down that path, you have the right to choke me out and fucking punch me out and drag me out of that place. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Seriously. Like mm-hmm. I, I would rather that happen than what's going to happen afterwards. And so like, I joke with a good friend of mine who I travel with a lot. We were looking at jet skis the other day and one of them like in California and one of them was in Las Vegas, like a double jet ski whatever. And I said, Oh, let's do a Vegas trip, man. Go get the jet skis. That'll be fun. He's like, no, 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 Jamie, you're not going to Vegas. Like, so, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I I play around with it as well. And my good friends, they know where I'm at and they're keeping an eye on me too, man. Like they, they really have got my back and like, they'll even sacrifice a night out 
like to stay with me sometimes, which in the end, when they wake up, they're like, oh man, I'm so glad we did that anyway. You know what I mean? So, so cool. I think I, I look at it as too, you're inspiring people to potentially take that step or showing that it's possible when you're the guy that went harder than anyone else. And now you're the one that's not going hard at all. Then I think that's inspiring for people yeah. and people want to aspire to potentially get to that. And people ask questions and asking you how you do it. And I'm always very open. Like, Hey, my phone number's, I'm always available. If you guys want to go down that path, I'm happy to talk you through it and give you some tips and on how to do stuff or how I did it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just so great to see people like yourself and other, like Tom Carroll. Yeah. He's been on this podcast before. Yeah, you know, Tom's a good and, friend of mine. Oh, he's brilliant, isn't he? And yeah. what he's done, like the transformation and he's inspired so many people. It's, it's yeah, just brilliant. Meditation and that's his, yeah, that's his way of, and the, the ice he's been in my sauna ice bath here in Hawaii and he's gone down that beautiful path of you know getting up early and tuning into that meditation and that's that's his way of staying sober and helping a lot of other people too it's beautiful beautiful absolutely beautiful to see Jamie something's coming up for me a lot lately where I've noticed just kind of toying with this kind of idea of the part of us sometimes that drinks, it's almost like the child part of us. It's like the mm. part that does it is refusing the adulting. And like talking about your story and talking about you kind of missing out on those, well, not missing out on those formative years, but those formative yeah. years were so hyper-focused on the sport and those achievements. Yeah. And I feel like something got missed out there, not necessarily the partying, but something maybe do you feel like there's a part of you that was drinking is sort of like the child part? And then the other part that we talked about is the adult part. Do you see that kind of, yeah, not just the duality, but the refusal of the adult part. And then finally, when we just go, okay, I'm just going to yeah. step into my adult parts. Yeah. I definitely felt like that. I was, I mean, geez, man, I, there's so many moments I look back and, and I'm like, I said, I did that. I think like, how was that me? Like, what was I thinking? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this room in here. And one of these things that makes me want to throw up is like, I remember one night there was a, a party going on and I'm laying in bed with my daughter going to sleep and my wife's in the other room with their daughter. And, and I was trying to make this excuse of why I should be going. I'm trying to like, it's a, I've got to do this business thing. You know, I'm, I'm just totally making a lie up to so I can go and drink. She's like, no, you shouldn't be. And she knows. She's like, if, if I walk out that door, like, you know what I mean? Like, and so she knows. And I'm just like, and we're both in there. And my daughter goes to sleep. And I just get out of bed. And I just sneak out the front door and go. And I just, just every now and then I flash back on that. And I'm like, who the fuck were you? Like, who would do that? Like, you're in bed with your daughter. You can sleep, cuddle up with her. But you decide to walk out and go to the pub. You know what I mean? And it's just. It blows my mind, but I, I think that just goes to the, the to the power of the of addiction or whatever it is, you know. And um, and I just think, and I was, it was the, the decisions I was making was so childish. It was like I was a child, you know, like it was mm. it was it was I wasn't a man, I wasn't an adult, like I was this child that was like had no like repercussions of like what was gonna happen, no thoughts of how I was gonna hurt anyone else. All I could think about was me and and it just yeah, it nearly makes me physically sick when I think of these moments because I'm like, I just, I know that really isn't who I am, mm, you mm -hmm. know, like deep down, but I was doing it and I just, and I've done some, uh, I've done a lot of plant medicine. I've done a lot of ayahuasca in mm -hmm. my healing mm -hmm. um, as well. So I've delved deep into plant medicine as well. It's, it's interesting. 
childhood trauma that you, you don't even know about. There's just so much that's still unknown, you know what I mean, yeah. like that we go through. Like my dad was a like a semi-professional football player, and I remember like same thing, work all week. They'd play football on Saturday, then those guys would drink themselves stupid on a Saturday night. And you know what I mean? So like even mm. subconsciously, am I doing what my dad did? So you just, it's still learning about childhood stuff and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a never ending journey, but it feels good to be on the other side of it. You don't want to say you're past it. I think it's, it's, it's always going to be an ongoing battle or struggle or whatever it may be at certain times sometimes it's easier than others but it's uh still learning always learning and so it's it's really good to talk about it yeah you know i don't really talk about it a lot but yeah now a lot more people gonna know about it i guess (laughs) well one thing the learning the continual learning and i really like at the moment i'm journaling every day on patterns that show up for me so whether it's just like the way I've spoken to my daughter or the way I've spoken to Ash or if I've done something, I thought, fuck, what was that, Danny? Like that was a bit, anything really, even a thought pattern, I'm writing them down in my journal and noticing them as patterns and then kind of doing a bit of delving into where did that pattern come from? Mm. Maybe it came from one of my parents or where did it just trying to just do and some really just compassionate journaling around it, not a finger pointing thing, but just kind of. Oh, and even even going into parents' patterns, I wonder where their patterns came from. Yeah. And it's really beautiful to just keep seeing them just as they are, just for what they are. They're just patterns that show up that we've been imprinted on since we were little people. Yeah. And it's just part of it's guess what makes us up. And it also not to get us out of bad behavior, but to kind of understand our behavior a bit more. It gives yeah. us a bit more compassion. Speaking of compassion, when you were talking before if we were to imagine another guy, like not you, but say there was this other guy and he's laying there with his daughter, getting her to sleep mm. and he's hearing this party going on outside and he's really got this urge to get to the party. What do you think? Like not thinking that guy's childish or whatever, but what do you think might've been going on for that guy? If you were to look through the compassionate lens, what might've been happening for him? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, right? It's like everyone is so different. Like are they looking for some sort of escape? Are things not good at mm-hmm. home? Like what is it? They just, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good way to look at it because if my friend's wife called me up and said, my friend was doing that, I'd be on his ass. Be like, what the fuck are you doing? You prick. That's you're an asshole. Get back home. And, but that was what I was doing. It's eye opening to look at yourself like a glass, you know, glass body and see through yourself and, and just be really honest with yourself like that about what what you were doing and um but yeah look i i don't know a, was i lacking something was i looking for something was i what what i haven't put my finger on it you know mm. i really haven't found out what it was but i've seen some pretty radical stuff in my ayahuasca journeys and stuff it's all, all pretty chaotic which is sort of my lot like life was like through there so that's still a journey that I potentially will continue on down the path, but yeah, I I, I don't know. So, um, mm-hmm. All I know is that it got to a point where it just had to stop, mm-hmm. and I just I knew deep in my gut that like I don't want to go down this path, you know. And um, mm-hmm. thank God I got to that point. Like you said, thank God I got to that point myself because the doing it for everyone else thing wasn't working because you get, uh, I think you'll get, you actually get pissed off at everyone else. Cause you're like, 
well, I'm doing it for them. Like, why am I doing it? You're doing it for them and it never works. Like, but mm. when you truly are doing it for you and for you, yourself, then it's when the magic happens. Yeah, 100%. For me, just going back to that guy lying in the bed, for me, mm. listening to it from the outside and just hearing your story a little bit, I mean, we've only just met each other, but yeah. For me, I just feel like that guy perhaps just wasn't comfortable or hadn't stepped into his or accepted that adult part. That's just what keeps coming up for me. And yeah. I just feel like that guy wasn't quite settled or didn't quite know where he was yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, 100% was I scared that the kid and married life was, that was it. And I'm trying to make mm-hmm. the most of it until I can. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes sense as well. I can totally mm-hmm. see that part of it. You know, missing out on the party sometimes the FOMO, that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's, um, I, and I also just think that people that have that imbalance or that brain, I just think there's some things that it just does it. Was there a part of you when you were a kid and you were doing all that sport and all the friends were out partying, did you ever wish to be doing what they were doing or were you just happy on your own um, path? I think subconsciously, I think you, you know, sometimes you, of, of course your friends are having fun and it wasn't even just the drinking, like just, going away on weekends and this and that. Like my childhood was pretty full up of like just sports and competing and stuff. Mm. And again, like, I don't know if there's trauma from that. Like, Mm. even though I have amazing parents, like Mm. and my life was awesome. They gave me everything I needed, but that still doesn't mean that I was like wanting to do other stuff and normal stuff. I still wanted to do what I wanted to do, but you know, maybe it's, I wanted to do, but I wanted to have it all right. So Just there's, like, there's yeah. your answer. I, mm-hmm. I wanted the party. I wanted to be the dad. I I think I could do it all. I, why can't I go out and have two drinks? Yeah. Why can't I go out and have a big night out on the drink and come back? Like everyone else can do it. Why can't I do it? I'm bringing in the money. I'm doing everything else. I'm a, I'm a good dad 99% of the time. Like why can't I go out and do that? Well, you can't because you switch your phone off. You go AWOL. And it's a disaster zone. Maybe if you just went out and had six, seven drinks and were home in bed by one, it'd be fine, but you mm-hmm. don't. But I'm like, well, that's not who I am. See? So now mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not that guy. This is who, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. So why can't I do that? And I, maybe there was a, that chip on my shoulder of like, well, I should be able to do it all. And you should be letting me do it all. Yes. Maybe that was and it. And it's just like in that young Jamie as well, just like, why can't I subconsciously, why can't I do it all? I want to yep. be off with and my friends. I mean, I've like, and mm-hmm. I think I can do it all, but mm. you can't. Not the way I was doing it. <laughs> uh, hey, Jamie, that's something to journal on too. After this call, perhaps yeah. to sit there and just that kind of realization of the the kid part of me perhaps wanted it all, and just seeing it, getting it down on paper, and seeing if yeah. there's that pattern there. That I guess that's how we heal the patterns is by just seeing them and then going, oh wow, yeah. okay now. Yeah, I, I was get about to say something like earlier too about something I'm really super aware and vigilant on right now is that like the patterns of there's there's a certain word for it and I know but I keep forgetting it, but like generational trauma, right? Mm. So my dad's side of like my dad's dad was a heavy drinker, smoker. So my dad got the drinking, you know what I mean? Like and and then mm. like I potentially well I didn't potentially I picked that up right so it's this it's that ad in Australia where the the dad's watching the tv right and he tells his kid go get me a beer son they go get him a beer right and then you see this the son become an adult and tell it to his son Mm -hmm. and it never you can't change it it's just Mm -hmm. like my wife will have a few wines whatever and obviously I don't drink I want to shift that generational 
thing that I think was going on in my family side to where my kids don't see that. They don't yeah. see the abuse of alcohol. They don't see dad coming home drunk, all that sort of stuff, right? So it's, um, yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm really, really, really super aware of, of trying to break that cycle. I'm glad I got through that when the kids were young enough to where, you know, I wasn't really coming home too much either. I wouldn't, I wouldn't come home when I was like, I'd come home, like not drunk. I'd be sober by the time I come back. So they never really saw me drunk, but they knew something was up the energy from my wife and stuff. So there's going to be something there to talk about, but I really have made an effort to when the time comes to, for them to understand, have that really talk that I never got as a kid about what alcohol does and what it can do. And, all that sort of stuff and make them understand like the relationship of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What are you proudest about with your sobriety, Jamie? I, I mean, obviously I think when I actually wanted to do it for myself, mm. you know what I mean? Like that moment where, cause I was going down a path where, I, like you said earlier, when you checked me, it was like, I was doing it for everyone else and uh, it was never working. But like when you say to yourself and commit to yourself, like, I'm not going to drink now. I'm going to commit to not drinking like for the rest of my life. That's a scary proposition. Like it's mm. scary because like, yeah, you're missing out on the fun. Are you going to be the weird one at the parties? Like for me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to really go to these places because I don't want to put myself in these situations. So like there's all these auras and stigmas that come with it. And I think to just to commit to my family and to commit to myself that this is the path that I want to go on. I think that, and obviously not having a drink for the last two years, you've got to be, I've got to be proud of that. Yeah. It's just, it's a journey and um, I'm, I'm proud of myself and it's not for anyone else to be proud of me. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Like I know my wife and my friends are are proud of me, you know, but it, that's really irrelevant to me because it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's how I, it's how I deal with it. Everyone can be proud of me, but if I'm struggling and go and go off the wagon, then that doesn't help anyone. So, so yeah, I'm proud of the journey I'm on. I'm proud of the little adjustments I've made of telling friends and being open about it and getting the non-alcoholic drinks and doing the cold plunges and just putting all these things into place. It's, it's hard. It's a, it's not easy to, it's a commitment to life. It's a, it's a big commitment to, to make it work. So I think just the whole process, it's a, there's a lot of moving parts that have to work, but um, mm. yeah, I'm proud of it all, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that acceptance of adulthood. And I think when we do have acceptance of life and life without and letting go of that kind of child part of us, letting that go, accepting the adulthood, accepting it all, I think we realize that we can actually have it all because we can still go and do the things like you went to the pub the other night and you hung out with friends, you were just yeah. not getting shit faced and then being able to feel full and whole contacting Cassie and, and then going home to yeah. the family. And that is a sense of wholeness as well, isn't it? And it is having it all. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's your perception of what, of what that is and what that looks like. If your perception is, being hung over and your kids coming in and, and not being present and being okay with that, then that's fine. But, you know, my perception now is like being the best dad that I can, taking them surfing, waking up, going training myself, getting back, cooking them dinner. Like to me, that makes me more happy than anything in the world. So yeah, when you change that perception of what makes you whole, then I think yes. that 
Yeah. The path is, you know, you're on the right path. Oh, you nailed it there. Absolutely nailed it. It's your perception of what having it all is. Yeah. 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 And I think that's when we're fighting ooh, our reality and we're not kind of just accepting. Yeah. There's something really in that, the perception of, of what having it all is. If we change the perception, it changes everything. It's all about yep. the mindset. That's one thing Ash is always heavy on that. It's all, yeah. it's all about your mindset and how you look at it. Well, how, how is it when you're at, you know, you are somewhere and you see people three or four drinks in, you get past that point, you look at them going, oh my God, I'm not having a drink. Like, I'm so glad I'm not that per. I'm so glad I'm not them right now. And you're yes. like, and it makes you like, even like, like for me, I'm just like, oh my God, look at everyone. Like they're just getting shit faced and being idiots. And you're like, that would be me. That would be me. So it's sort of just, again, that's, that's a perception as well, you know, Thank God. Yeah. It's like looking at it going, and that's one thing that we used early on from Alan Carr's only way to quit smoking. Ash and I had that one thing we picked up from that book was thank God I don't have to do that anymore. So without, we weren't judging people who were drinking, no. uh, but just being able to look at them and go, thank fuck, I don't have to do that anymore. Thank fuck. Yeah. Thank God. Oh. And it's just, it just makes you feel so relieved and you don't yeah. have the FOMO. Yeah. Oh, Jamie, this has been such a great chat. I just really appreciate your time and yeah. your wisdom and, and that whole like just being open and vulnerable, being able to break it down and pull it apart a little bit. If you could go back in time and speak to young Jamie, mm. perhaps about having it all or except or whatever, what would you say to him? What would be your yeah, words of advice? That, that's a great question. I've never been one to have regrets and I just feel like everything happens for a reason. I don't think I would change anything. I think that your path is your path and it's there for a reason. I think that I'm going to be able to help more people potentially from my story than actually if I was didn't have a problem with alcohol. So maybe there's a reason, maybe moderation, Jamie, but, but that wasn't who I was. That's not how I got to the stuff that I've done athletically and mm. in the surf. Like I, I didn't get there but from moderation. I got there from having that the mindset that got me in trouble with the it's what got me to the dance party also got me in trouble yeah. so i think the biggest word for me now is balance finding that balance how do you find the balance of going out and risking your life and doing that and then coming in and being like dad coming off stage and then okay now you got to go into normal life again straight after mm. performing to 300,000 people mm. Or driving yeah. an F1 car around the track and winning a race and walking off the track and then like just jumping back into normal. It's hard. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really hard, you know. So how do you find that balance? I think it's having really good people around you, surrounding mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. and having those abilities to go and do things and you know, go and have a nice dinner, go and do your – like, you know what I mean? Like there's ways around it, you know, but you've got to be cognitive of – your problems and what you do. Like if you don't think going out and drinking and is a problem, then you're not putting things into place to fix it. Mm. I didn't think it was a problem. So why would I think it's anything's wrong? Like, I, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, why can't I go out and do that? But when you actually realize it is, that's when you can start putting these pieces to the puzzle that'll help you be successful in, in the sobriety, mm. you know, and, when I was able to do that, that's why I've been able to be two years sober now. But before that, it was six months, nine months, three months, whatever, good chunks of time, but it was never consistent. Mm. It's so, acceptance, isn't it? It's like that yeah. kind of accepting and letting go of the fact of I can't moderate, I just have to let it go. Yeah. Just like being held down in a wave, 
under yeah. a wave, just like, okay, you I have to accept it. It's here, it's happening. And if you fight it, it's only going to be worse. Accept how you are, accept the mindset that you have. I accept that I have my mind works differently and the way that I deal with things. And once I was able to accept that I had a problem and I, what I was doing was a problem, then I was able to start to fix those little holes fix the arteries, the little bits and pieces until I got it all and I was able to do it right and put in the right places. Damn, amazing. So awesome. And yeah, the no regrets because all of us who have our story and we share, whether it's you, Tom Carroll, famous musicians, old mate down the road, there's always some inspiration. So yeah. anyone who's listening and you're feeling like a fuck up or you worried or you've got regrets I think let them go but be change we can't run from the past it's, but the future is amazing and and the day after that is you can change that you can change your future you can change what's about to happen you gotta let the past go and it's done as hard as that sounds it's uh there's no good in hanging on the past you can go back and dwell on it Find positives out of the past too. Like you can use negatives in the positives, but hanging on to stuff that's haunting you is, is, is I feel is is no good. I I just onwards and forwards, and yeah. uh, anyone can, yeah, anyone out there listening, you can do it. Just find help, find the right people, listen to these types of podcasts. I mean, if you hadn't gone through it, you wouldn't be doing this podcast, and then I wouldn't be sharing my story. So that's why I'm saying that. There's no regrets. My life is my life. And I did what I did. And we've never been happier as a family right now. We went through some really shitty times and really hard times, but we come out the other side and never been happier. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. Absolutely. Oh, I get teary then. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well done. Oh, Jamie, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I hope to hear from you again soon. See ya. See ya. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.